Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. If you're listening to Fashion Unzipped, you've almost certainly heard of Karl Lagerfeld, and Jerry Hall, and Bill Cunningham. But have you heard of Antonio Lopez? The iconoclastic illustrator was at the heart of the fashion world in the 1960s and 70s, and he's the subject of a fascinating new documentary. A little later today, we'll share an exclusive interview with the film's director. But first, introductions. I'm Emily Cronin, and with me in the studio today are Charlie Gowans-Eglinton. Hello. Sonia Haria. Hello. And Chrissy Turner. Hello. Thanks for joining us for episode 15 of Fashion Unzipped. To start things off, Britney Spears has landed her first fashion campaign. The singer is the face of Kenzo's La Collection Memento for spring-summer 2018. It's the brand's second nostalgia-based collection, and it's a tribute to the debut of Kenzo Jeans in 1986, because I know we were all waiting for that tribute. Um, <laughs> the campaign was shot by Peter Lindbergh in Paris, and, and in the pictures, Britney's wearing cropped logo sweatshirts, logo baseball caps, thigh-high lace-up boots... Bikini bottoms, not much else. Let me put this to the table. Did the world really need Britney Spears' fashion icon? Well, I kind of love it. I think she looks amazing. That's a a yes from Sonia, then. Yeah, she's 36. She's got abs of steel, and she's had two kids. I mean, I'm kind of digging it. Okay, you're pro. Yeah. Um, my 11-year-old self was thrilled yeah. because she has her belly <laughs> purse, number one. She's in triple denim. I'm all over it. I don't know if we needed her as a fashion icon, but we needed her back. We definitely. Need I'm her obsessed. Back. She needed her moment again. Yeah, exactly. And she we looks great. We definitely need some nostalgia. I think that's the, you know, when the world is in turmoil, we need a little bit of, you know, Brittany taking us all back 20 years and reminding us what it, what it's like to kind of see her dance down the school halls with her shirt tied up under a bra. Baby one more time. We can all do that. I know that if we were to stop and take off the headphones, all of us could do the dance right now. Yeah, so, yeah. I, learned, yeah. I learned it in the school hall at lunchtime. I had the feather hair clips from Accessorize. It was a whole moment. Excellent. <laughs> it really, it's funny that you mentioned her belly ring because that was the first thing that I clocked. I was like, wow, I haven't seen one of those in pop culture for a while. Exactly. I need mine back, I feel like. So. <laughs> no, no, you She's don't. She's such a 90s icon. She's kind Kind of fabulous. Mm-hmm. Does she make you want to buy the clothes? No, no, not even. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. who needs a crop sweatshirt in their lives? Not me, but no. I mean, if I if I looked like that, I'd consider it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her abs are incredible. I know they mm. are amazing. She had that residency in Vegas, so she's been you know performing 
nonstop, I think. Yeah. Maybe this is the latest stop on the kind of Maria Tash piercing party. Maybe belly buttons oh are next. We were talking about this actually oh gosh, on, on the desk early this morning. Queuing up at press days. Uh, <laughs> the three of us first into the fashion desk all had belly button piercings Wait, so in, our, in our teens. Okay. How, how old were you when you so got when you I got think yours? I was 15. Same. 15. 16. I was a nose ring girl. I didn't have a belly button. Oh, I can see you with a nose ring. But I mean, are they healed over? Is it too late for us? I think maybe just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, that, let, let's like respect that as a moment in time that has passed for most of us who are not Britney Spears. To be fair, I didn't have the abs for it then, so it's unlikely. Well, <laughs> yeah, so. It's the closest to having it. I mean, but what's next? Like, are we going to have Christina Aguilera for Versace? Oh, my God. Oh, it would kind of work. Could we, could we revive that rivalry? That, that kept me going through my teen years. In other news straight out of 1998, Miranda Hobbs is running for governor, you guys, by which I mean that Cynthia Nixon has announced that she is running for governor of New York State. The Sex and the City star is running against incumbent Andrew Cuomo. Her key issues are improving education, who wouldn't want that, and fixing the crippled subway system. Is it just me, or does Miranda seem like the least unlikely character from the show to ever run for public office? I mean, those power suits. We all saw it coming, right? Right. So she was a lawyer, so I feel like it kind of, I'm not shocked. In a way, I know that wasn't real, but I'm still not shocked. I see her. I Wait, hang it. on. She's not a lawyer. She's not a trained lawyer in real life, though. No, she's in Sex and the City. IRL guys. Real life, Sex and the City. She's kind of got no political experience. So it's kind of, I mean, as an American, how do you feel about this, Emily? Well, I mean, better, better Cynthia Nixon than Donald Trump. Yeah, true. Right? If anyone's going to use celebrity to be elected, let's have it be a feminist married lesbian, right? Yeah, very true. I think mm. we all really enjoy the um, the guessing game of which celebrities, you know, Clooney's rumoured to be planning some kind of presidential campaign the in the Rock. future. The Rock. We, you know, Kanye. Oprah, Beyonce, yes. all, all kind of floated names. for all. It's, it's good fun when one of them actually <laughs> yeah. throws their hat into the ring, isn't it? I'm on board with all of those, it's just, you know, especially <laughs> if they shove the other guy out of the way. Even Kanye? Well, mm. I mean, <laughs> no, no. Okay, sorry, Kanye, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, with Miranda, it's it sort of, when the show was on, I think that she was probably, like, the most maligned, like, least adored character. Yeah. We, we all kind of wanted to be, like, the fashionable Carrie Bradshaw or the man-eating Samantha Jones or maybe even, like, the goody-goody who gets everything, like Charlotte York, but... I didn't know anyone who wanted to be Miranda. And yet, when I think about what she stood for now, like someone who really called their friends out on yeah. their on their crap mm. and went to work and was independent and got what she wanted, I mean, that's probably what I'm most like now. I think it's one of those odd shows that at the time we all related to Carrie because it's, you know, that teenage feeling of wanting to be the star of your own story yeah. and thinking that you know your love is the greatest love and and then you grow up and you're like oh god Carrie's a bit of a terrible person actually yeah. <laughs> rubbish mate and you know so, really so narcissistic yeah. <laughs> and who chooses clothes over food it's just silly moving on last week Donatella Versace declared that her brand would no longer use real fur in its collections that announcement followed similar moves by Gucci, Michael Kors and Furla but is faux fur really the problem-free ethical alternative to real? Charlie, you wrote about this for today's paper. So what are the issues with faux fur? I think the problem is it would be wonderful if we could just see this as a really easy solution. We shift from real to faux. You know, there's no more harm to animals. Faux fur, sadly, is 
always derived from plastic. That's kind of the only way that you can make those hair-like strands. So the process of actually making it is toxic, but also when it's washed, um, it releases kind of particles into the water that are then poisoning our water supplies and, and then damaging habitats of animals. So it's kind of brings it full circle. So it's, it's a whole different set of problems, um, obviously, to the, to the real fair debate. But there's also the issue with faux fur that it's non-biodegradable. So if you're throwing away a coat, and often kind of faux fur is very affordable on the high street. So, you know, if you're buying a coat for £40 in a high street store and then throwing it away at the end of the, the season, it's going to landfill, it's going to be there for 600 years. Whereas, you know, real fur is a natural product, so it does biodegrade. Not that that's kind of an ethical decision either, but it it's a lot more complex than you might at first think. I have some questions. We're always hearing about bamboo fibers, and, and yesterday I met an entrepreneur who has uh, launched a company that produces pineapple leather. Have you come across any biodegradable alternatives, or is it really just petrochemicals and limestone and everything else that you listed in the article? There are ways to kind of make texture, definitely. Um, there isn't so far, as, as far as I know, unless there's kind of some breaking technology there isn't any other way to make that kind of artificial hair so your teddy bear coat for example you know those kind of slightly spongier that can be made using different kind of materials alternatives I think many of us in fashion have made the decision not to wear real fur and you can see the designers starting to move that way and you can also see that it's becoming a bit more of a luxury prospect so you know, perhaps if you went to Milan Fashion Week and you wore a faux fur coat a few years ago, it would be seen as a bit cheap, you know, an inferior alternative to real because the luxury Italian industry use a lot of real fur. Whereas now with brands like Gucci and Versace saying no no to real fur, that's starting to change. And you're seeing kind of £3,000 Givenchy and Stella McCartney coats made of faux fur. So, you know, that stigma is changing, which is brilliant. What about the, the fact that you mentioned that, uh, that a lot of animal rights activists consider this propaganda from the fur industry? Is there any merit in that? I don't know. I mean, probably to an extent. Um, the fur industry has gotten a lot of venom thrown at them over the last few decades. Um, and those animal rights activists are kind of very vocal. So this is their kind of way of getting their own back slightly and saying, well, you know, you're saying faux fur is the great alternative, but actually it's not it's not good for our planet. But I think there's also truth in that. I spoke to Yvonne Taylor, Director of Corporate Projects at PETA, about this, and she said kind of in an ideal world, obviously we wouldn't wear either, but hopefully, you know, in wearing faux fur, people will start to move away from real, and that's kind of a step, it's a progression. And also, we're kind of at the beginning, you know, I, a while ago, I spoke to a designer who offers some of those, as you were mentioning, like astronomically priced faux fur coats. She calls hers not just faux fur, but faux mink. And she says that her name is Maya Reich. Her label is Mare, I think 1998. She said that technology has come along by such leaps and bounds. There's really no excuse to use real fur. And as there's more widespread um, and more pervasive and convincing interest in faux fur, I I guess we can only hope that it'll push innovation and that maybe there will be some alternatives that aren't so damaging. It's a step, isn't it? I think any kind of step towards a more sustainable fashion industry is exciting. You can read Charlie's story in today's paper and online at telegraph.co.uk slash fashion.
Meanwhile, you may have heard that Tuesday marked the official first day of spring, which makes this week the ideal time to spring clean your skincare and makeup routine. Sonia is our beauty director and therefore the source of all knowledge on beauty for everyone in this room and beyond. Your skin does look amazing, Sonia. You look very dewy in this kind of padded podcast booth that we're in, which is the rest nice. of us are, are struggling a bit. What should we be using? Well, my new um, my new weapon for spring skin is Charlotte Tilbury's Hollywood Filter. She always seems to get it right for glowy skin. And it's this weird kind of, I feel like there's a lot of innovation going on at the moment in the beauty industry, especially product launches over the last one or two months, quite exciting products. And um, Charlotte's Hollywood Filter, you just sort of dab it's not a highlighter, it's not a primer, it's just this kind of glowy liquid. And it's not that kind of Kardashianite, like heavy highlighted look that you see on Instagram where like, you know, it's like a unicorn stripe across someone's cheekbone. It's not that. It's um, grown up highlights. So you just dab this liquid on your cheeks and it just instantly makes you look like you've been in Greece for a week. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I, of course, have not been in Greece for a week, but I look like, you know, my skin looks much fresher than it would without the product. And there's also another thing that's just launched um, in Liberty, I think this week, actually. It's a Trish McAvoy face corrector. And it's like this one tool that you can use as a foundation. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Well, it's a concealer, but you can use it as a foundation if you need it or to cover really severe dark circles. Trish McAvoy, I actually um, interviewed her last week and she said that's exactly what she was after. She's got self-admittedly dark circles and she was like, I just needed, you know, a product that I can apply on the go and that's going to, you know, last through running around kids, maybe going to a gym class, a whole day's, you know, in the office with air conditioning and actually it really works. So I've been using that religiously the, the past week and my other favorite spring makeup essential has been the Chanel lip and cheek blush and it's the ultimate multitasker it's really nice semi-transparent color that you apply on your lips and your cheeks and it just gives you that really nice spring-like glow genuinely those are the only three products I've been using for maybe the last two weeks gearing up for spring skin Sonia how often do you do you honestly audit your makeup bag and and cycle products in and out um, so I've been using the same ones for years. Yeah, no, well, I have products that are always in my makeup bag. So like a Chanel black eyeliner, always in my bag. A Stila mascara, always in my bag. You know, the classics that I keep going to. And I will genuinely repeat by because they are the best in their category. But when it comes to skin, I feel like there's so much innovation constantly that I do tend to shake up my makeup bag quite often. <laughs> Chrissy, you're also a great one for trying new new makeup. Thanks. I know you love Huda Beauty, don't you? I do. And um, I feel like if I do wear foundation, it's definitely Huda. But I'm going to try and swap this year and just do a bit of concealer. So mm. I might use the foundation as concealer. Can I do yeah. that, Sonia? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That Huda foundation's quite rich, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really creamy. Yeah, it gives mm. you quite good coverage. I definitely think dabbed on as a concealer. And I'm, I'm like loving mists at the moment. I'm having a bit of a revival with a face mist. So there's so many good ones, like new good ones on the market. What do they actually do, though? Well, usually it would just be like a bit of a rose, you know, to freshen up the skin. But actually, MAC have a great one that's charged with charcoal, which is amazing. Like, you spritz it over your skin and it genuinely 
makes your skin look, you know, that kind of three o'clock at the desk, your skin looks pretty awful. Um, <laughs> that takes that away. So you can use it over makeup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con yeah. I, I mean, I'm constantly spritzing, yeah, obviously. The air conditioning <laughs> in, in anyone's office is not the kindest, is it? Yeah, totally. And it doesn't need that kind of greasy look on the skin. It just looks kind of dewy. Um, so that's what I'll be using pretty much all spring and summer. Check out this Sunday's issue of Stella Magazine for Sonia's beauty shoot about early spring makeup. And remember, you can read more about these and other stories in the paper and at telegraph.co.uk slash fashion. Also, please email us. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast, including anything that you'd like to hear more about or less of. That counts, too. We're on unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. If you haven't already done this, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. It helps more people find Fashion Unzipped. In any account of the fashion world in the 1960s and 70s, there's one name that keeps coming up, and that name is Antonio Lopez. Lopez was a fashion illustrator, but to say that he was a fashion illustrator almost isn't enough. He was a mover and a shaker. He made stuff happen. He discovered Jerry Hall and dated her for two years before she was with Brian Ferry and Mick Jagger. Uh, he was a muse to Karl Lagerfeld and designed a lot of his prints at Chloe. And he was um, one of the only kind of credible rivals to Andy Warhol for, for a time in that late 60s downtown New York art scene. There's a new documentary about Antonio Lopez. It's called Antonio Lopez 1970 Sex, Fashion, and Disco. And I think that this should be required viewing for everyone in the fashion world. And it left me wanting to be an Antonio girl. You had me at sex, fashion, and disco, if I'm honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds the illustrations are just amazing, though, aren't they? They are. They're, they're swoopy. They're kind of trippy and kinetic. And mm. I, I mean, I, I interviewed Pat Cleveland, the supermodel of the time, who was famous for kind of dancing down the runways. And she said he made everyone beautiful with just one stroke of the pen. And she kind of described to me what it was like to, to be drawn by Antonio. He would have these late night drawing sessions where you'd go to his apartment in Carnegie Hall. Actually, Bill Cunningham gave Antonio his apartment in Carnegie Hall. Wow. Sure. And then moved to a smaller studio <laughs> nearby because he, he felt so strongly that Antonio and his creative partner, Juan Ramos, should have this space. So she would go over there late at night and he would style her up and she'd start dancing or take off her clothes, whatever, start dancing. And he would just sit there over his drawing board. She said kind of breathing heavily, like huffing and puffing. And then and then he'd look up and, and it would be her on the paper, but better. I think those hedonistic days, kind of everything surrounding Studio 54, that whole scene, we're kind of obsessed with looking back. And fashion constantly is referencing those times as well. You know, we've got new designers like Michael Halpin basing whole collections and whole brands on that moment in time and those fantastic women and I, I think Antonio Lopez's drawings sum up the mood not just kind of it's not just a photograph of a moment in time but it's kind of how, how they were feeling and you get a little bit of that excitement through don't you? It's very evocative that was something I discussed with James Crump the director of the documentary the film itself is dedicated to Bill Cunningham and, and features extensive interviews with Bill which I mean if you've seen Bill Cunningham New York the documentary about Bill Cunningham you know he's loath to talk about himself yeah. but he was very open in talking about Antonio, his friend, who he, he just loved and admired so much. 
And James said that Bill talked a lot about the differences between the 1970s and today. One of the things we talked about with Bill, which was fascinating to me, and there, there's a bit of it, but there's, there's a much more in the interview, which was Bill um, talking about um, the contrast between 1970 and today and how fashion has changed so much and and how it's become so much more of a you know, bottom-line business. And it's, it's also about, you know, a few very large multinationals that have taken over, you know, the most important um, brands. It's, there's been an incredible amount of consolidation. He describes it in a very articulate way, how, how things have changed and, and just the attitudes and, and the difference between his crew and Antonio having so much fun and doing it not for money, but just doing it out of sheer pleasure and doing it out of sheer creativity and sheer obsession with being original, doing something original that was fun and uh, was additive to the life experience. Fashion is such a business now, yeah. and thank goodness it's professionalized because that that gives us all more credibility and, and, and I think respect for the work that we do and, and the work that everyone in our field does. But you have to admit that there's some spontaneity missing and, you know, you're unlikely to to meet the next great supermodel or an incredible artist out Just dancing on a table because totally, yeah. you're at home on, you know, red carpet gallery duty instead. So it, it, it's, a, it's a whole different world. I don't think any era gives us that kind of same level of FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we so definitely true. missed out, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, I would love to be an Antonio girl, um, but short of that, I can strongly recommend that everyone goes and sees this documentary. It's in UK Cinemas from 6th April, and it's also part of the BFI Flair Film Festival, which is at the very end of the month. Here's more about the film from James Crump, director of Antonio Lopez 1970. They talk about his father being a kind of psychic, and, and, and Antonio had some of those powers himself where he was able to see through and in between and, and, and then understand what a person could be or what a person might be or what a person should be. And um, I think he was also able to see the kind of intrinsic beauty inside of, of, the, of, the, of the subject, of the person, you know, and identify with very, very personal things that one doesn't necessarily, you know, understand about oneself. And so I think that was his skill. That was his, that was his real, his true talent was this kind of almost paranormal way to see into a person and to see, see things, see things of beauty that aren't so obvious, you know, to everyone. See things that are, that are more hidden or, or more unusual and to embrace them. And, you know, he wasn't about cliches. He wasn't about standards of, of beauty. He was opening up a kind of, uh, if you look at the women, that Antonio was interested in the ones he he got behind and supported and, and was using in his work. Um, they weren't the most obvious choices. They weren't. They didn't have the, the standard features that you would have of, of certain models of that period of time that were being promoted elsewhere. There was a trajectory that he was on, and I think it was it was foreclosed because of his his premature death from AIDS related illnesses. But I think that he was really, in my mind, he was trying to make this kind of what I what I would call like a Warhol supernova, which is to say, you know, bridging this this gap between um, fashion illustration and uh, visual arts, moving more toward an identity that was more about studio art and about exhibition and about the fine arts. I want a younger generation of people to this. I want a really younger demographic to discover Antonio and to also to see these characters as these 
creative beings who are not just driven by commerce and by the bottom line. And, you know, today, you know, people who are growing up in their, in their 20s, you know, they, I think they probably think that they're perceived as, as machines, you know, because we're also dehumanized by the pace at which we're, we're asked to, to produce so that we can keep the consumer machine rolling. And that wasn't what was driving Antonio and his gang of, of collaborators. It was, it had to do with, as I said earlier, it had to do with originality and having fun and doing something that was contributive and um, sexy and cool. And uh, it, w- it wasn't tied to just, you know, making a lot of money. It, was, it wasn't tied to, like, commerce. It wasn't, I mean, there, there were, I think they were realistic and I think they understood that you still have to make a living, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, you know, the end all, the be all. It was, it was more about, doing something that was really interesting, beautiful, and intelligent, and original. You can read the full story about Antonio Lopez on the Telegraph Fashion site. Just a reminder, again, that we gather all the stories we discuss every week into a news article on the site. So visit us if you want to find out more about anything we've discussed. And please email us. Again, we're on unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. It's time for us to go around the table and share something we're all excited about this week. So Chrissy, you're up first. Um, I am very excited about the fact that it's my last day in the office today, this week. Lucky. So my heart just stopped. Off. I was like, what? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I am going to York, very glamorous, for the rest of the week, which should be nice. A nice little break. What are it's you doing in York? Just chilling. Mm. I'm going to watch season seven of Suits. I know I'm very behind, but I'm obsessed, so I'm going to watch that. I love that this is your holiday plan. Yeah, it's <laughs> Like Meghan Markle research. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's for the Telegraph. And yeah. um, it's not going to be particularly warm, obviously, so Netflix is say, my plan. Is, is York a microclimate? It's <laughs> what will you be wearing? <laughs> it's just as cold. <laughs> Why York? Um, I've been before. Oh, right. I'm going with my boyfriend, and we liked it last time. Oh, it's a yeah. lovely little city. It's a nice place, it? yeah. yeah. I'm actually doing a bit of a staycation, actually, on Sunday. No, Saturday. I'm going to um, a nice little spa in Oxfordshire. So I can't wait You and your so I know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I haven't been to one for one or, one or two months. Um, Which one is this? <laughs> it is called um, Danesfield House, and it's uh, just got a lovely heated pool and lovely grounds and nice gardens so yeah I'm just going to eat lots of nice food and I've been on a sugar-free diet for the last three weeks so I feel like this weekend is the it's the weekend to maybe ease myself back into sugar (laughs) and wheat and dairy (laughs) and alcohol good for you Charlie what about you well I'm actually going to a spa on Monday. I'm off to Limewood as well. So we're a very uh, self-indulgent group today. (laughs) But but my main excitement happened last night. I went to a new restaurant called Parsons in Covent Garden on Endell Street. So if anyone is London-based or visiting, I can highly recommend. Um, What kind of food is it? I did see your Instagram story and and made a little note to sell. It's a sister restaurant to 10 cases, which is across the road, which is so cool because they only buy 10 cases of each bottle of wine um so it's kind of a constantly changing wine list but parsons is this tiny little uh fish and seafood restaurant and it's kind of these tiled walls so i felt like i was in you know seville or barcelona or somewhere you know one of those really authentic tapas restaurants but it was just fantastic i'm gonna have to go back immediately because they'd sold out of the lobster mash by the time i got there but i consoled myself with oysters and Oh, just a whole world of 
joyful fishy you roughed deliciousness. It. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a struggle. The chips were fantastic. Was it really expensive um, though? No, it was actually all right. Uh, I went with two girlfriends and it's we kind of did small sharing plates, so yeah. it's not cheap, but it's delicious and yeah. you know for, for a girlfriend catch-up I would highly recommend I mean that lobster mash alone sounds yeah kind of dreamy <laughs> sounds like that should be on your post no sugar no wheat yeah, yeah. the first thing <laughs> I'm must gonna try have list. is yeah well I'm pretty excited obviously as you can tell about the Antonio documentary but on a much more like large-scale release front um, I think I'm finally gonna see Black Panther this weekend Amazing. Amazing. I feel like right. I'm maybe the last person to see this, but uh, Sunday night, it's happening, guys. Amazing. So. I have watched it twice. You will love it. In the cinema, it's both Yeah, in wow. the cinema, both okay. times. Whisper it. I Very good. I haven't seen any of the Oscar-nominated films. I'm completely behind, so please report back. <laughs> well, you know, it was, I mean, as well as being interesting and the rare movie that both I and my husband want to see, uh, the soundtrack is incredible. Like I, I keep turning up the radio in the car and then clicking to see what the song is, and it's from the Black Panther soundtrack. Mm. And it was all over Milan Fashion Week as well. Uh, and Denai Guerrera was at the Ferragamo show, looking fearless. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think I'm I'm a fan, and I haven't even seen it yet. All right, guys, that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening, and check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.